right, Merry Christmas. We made it. Hope you had a good week leading up to Christmas. Um, if you didn't, that's okay too. Um, I get that. Uh, real talk, my, my week was less than stellar. Spent most of the week at the doctor uh, on antibiotics, uh, trying to get rid of the same uh, crud, whatever, I think that we've all had the last couple of weeks and regain enough of my voice that I could actually preach a couple times today. And uh, all while we had family visiting from Africa, and uh, right after I spent a week in Chapel Hill with my dad, who was in, in the hospital. And so, uh, man, I, assuming this is a safe place, I, I'm just about ready to hit eject on the month of December. All right, I, I'm ready to just hit eject. Let's flip it over to January and see what we got uh, that month. It's just been one of those seasons uh, for me and for my family. Maybe you can relate to that. Um, but whether Christmas is a super happy uh, time for you or whether you're just like me, kind of ready to flip the dang calendar, whatever the case is for you, either magical, kind of sad, my hope and my prayer for all of us, myself included, is that we would leave this place uh, with really just kind of a renewed sense of hope, with uh, a lightness, a gladness of heart as we celebrate what God has done uh, for us through his son, Jesus, and ultimately that our time together would just be a reminder to you that you are deeply loved by a really big and a really good God. Now, I think when it comes to the Christmas season, we probably all have uh, certain memories that are attached to Christmas for us. In fact, uh, we'll just do a little exercise. I'm going to say uh, a word in a minute, and you just kind of lock in the first thing that pops into your brain, okay? Are you ready? Christmas. All right, now what, what, what popped into your brain? I'm gonna guess for some of you, maybe it was Santa Claus, maybe it was a Christmas tree, maybe it was a certain present that you got when you were a kid. If you're anything like me, when I hear that word, that word evokes certain childhood memories. And so for me, I think of seasons of anticipation, excitement, ripping open presents, eating my mom's famous fudge, the Christmas lights, and mainly opening the presents, right? That was the thing. Now, I was, I was born in the 80s. I was made uh, in the 90s. And uh, so just, just raise, where are my Gen Xers at? If you're, you're Gen Xer, raise your hand. We got some of us, the most underrated generation in American history, by God, all right? One of the best ever. Now, listen, when I was a kid, and some of you may not remember, some of you will not know what, what this is. Some of you will. But when I was a kid, what I was into was G.I. Joe's. Does anybody remember G.I. Joe's? Woo! 80s, baby! Yes! Now, I was thinking back to G.I. Joe's uh, this week, and I was like, man, I think, now that I think about it, they were just kind of like baby dolls for dudes. <laughs> yeah, I was like, doesn't sound nearly as cool when you put it that way. But um, when I was like five, six, seven, eight, they were pretty rad. Just kind of these toy soldier, superhero characters. They're real fun. Uh, in fact, I have a, a picture of me and my sister when I was five or six, and uh, I was opening a G.I. Joe that she got me for Christmas. And you see that look, that is pure joy, right? That is anticipation, that is excitement all rolled into good with a sweet bowl cut haircut of the 1985 with the sweet Superman PJs. And uh, for me, man, five or six years old, that's what Christmas was about for me, right? It was like G.I. Joe's and the anticipation of opening up those presents and all of those things, which leads me to the question that I hope will kind of frame all of our time together this evening, and that question will be on the screen for you right now. 
what's Christmas really all about? Like if I were to ask you that question in the lobby or run a mic out into the crowd and stuff it into your face and say, what's Christmas really all about for you? What would your answer be? Like not, not just like the Sunday school answer or whatever, but like honestly for you, what, what is the Christmas season really all about for you? What have you been spending your time thinking about, meditating on in the days and weeks leading up to tomorrow? What's it, what's it really all about for you? Is it really just about a, a season of holiday cheer where we get to sing some familiar carols like we just did and enjoy some Christmas lights around the fireplace, the awkward family dinners with a weird aunt or uncle that every family has that will not shut up about politics, right? Everybody's got that aunt or uncle. And if you're like, no, my family doesn't, it's because it's you, right? You are, you are the weird aunt or uncle. Congratulations and Merry Christmas. Now, at New Life, uh, in the month of December, we've been unpacking John's prologue in John's Gospel, chapter 1, kind of the first 18 verses. It sets up the entire gospel. It's one of the most famous passages about Jesus in the entire biblical narrative. And so what we've been doing the last four weeks is really just kind of slowly building to the summit of, of tonight, right? So, so far we've seen incredible truths in John's prologue, like Jesus is the light, who is sent to pierce the darkness of this cold world, but not just this cold world, also the darkness and pain of our own souls and our hearts. And we also get this promise that those who receive the light, those who believe in his name, God supernaturally makes into his children. John's entire prologue builds until verse 14. That's our verse tonight. And it really kind of serves as the crescendo of this Christmas masterpiece. And so I want us to read again what Tyler just uh, read to us. But this time I want you guys to help me, all right? The three o'clock crushed it, so you guys don't leave me hanging. Let's read this out loud, okay? Starting in verse one. In the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. The word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him. And without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life. The life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness. And the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God. whose name was John. He came as a witness to bear witness about the light that all might believe through him. He was not the light, but came to bear witness about the light. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Will you pray with me? Father, we come to you. On this day, as we approach tomorrow, one of the most celebrated holy days in all of the Christian faith, as a couple billion people will celebrate all over this world, this magnificent event that the creator of all 
the one who created history stepped into history to become one of us, not in order to condemn us or to judge us, but to redeem us, to set us free, to give us hope, freedom, and life through your son, Jesus. I pray now as we examine these ancient words that your Holy Spirit would be here, be present, would guide us, teach us, illuminate these things through our hearts and our minds. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Guys, this is everything. This one little line changes literally everything in human history. And what John, who, by the way, if you're not familiar with John's gospel, our author, one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus, and scholars believe probably Jesus' closest friend, his best friend, what he's attempting to do here, I think, is take this really high-arching cosmic truth. The word became flesh, and he's making it personal for us. He's taking this truth from heaven, and he's trying to shove it into our ribcage. And he's saying, guys, listen, this is real. Like, this is not some made-up fairy tale. This is, this is truth that has the power to redirect destinies, to save marriages, to change the course of lives, to heal the broken places and spaces in all of our hearts and our souls. This is everything. And so if you're here or maybe you're watching online, if you've ever thought of God or maybe you're thinking of God now as some sort of distant far off, unknowable, unreachable force, I want you to know today, and I think John wants you to know today, that God and Jesus is near. He's come near. He's a personal God. He's knowable. And in fact, this is actually, I would argue, the richest, deepest experience that we can experience as human beings to to know our creator. This is what uh, Pete Gregg, an author, calls dirty glory. I love that term, dirty glory. That glory got down in the dirt, got got dirty so that you and I could experience and participate in his glory. Let's look at verse 14 once more, and I want us to feast on this verse by focusing in on three words. Those words are flesh, dwelt, and glory, all right? So we'll kind of drill down into those three words, and then we'll uh, have an application. We'll close and we'll sing. We can go home and drink eggnog and watch the Grinch or whatever. All right, verse 14. And the word became, there's the first word, flesh, and dwelt, that's the second word, dwelt among us, and we have seen his what? His glory. That's the third one, right? Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. And ultimately, that's what God's glory personified looks like. It looks like grace, and it looks like truth. We'll dig into that in just a minute. Now, let's start with the first word, Flesh. Now, this, this word, flesh, is the Greek word sarx. Everybody say sarx. Sarx, good job. That almost sounds like a villain in like a superhero movie or something like that. What it literally means is skin, like human or animal skin, meat or flesh. Now, don't miss this. This is actually a stunning claim. John is saying Jesus wasn't just a good example. He wasn't just a good man or a good prophet or a moral teacher. What John is saying is that Jesus was and is literally God wrapped in human flesh, wrapped in human meat. 
He's saying that the eternal God who created matter became matter to be with us. That the God who, who put the sun in the sky then came to earth and felt that same sun shining on his face on a warm summer's day. That the very God who spoke the universe into existence entered that universe as a helpless babe dependent on a teenage mom for food and his very safety. The God who created history stepped into his own history to become one of us. Man, I love the way the late great English preacher Charles Spurgeon put it. This will be on the screen for you. Spurgeon says, it is a miracle. It is a miracle of miracles that the infinite should become an infant. Guys, if, if what John is saying is true, if what he is saying is true, and I believe with all of my heart that it is, here's what that means, and understand this, the stakes are high. If the word became flesh, that means life came to die so that you could come alive. Life came to die so that you could come alive. Put another way, and this will be on the screens, God so loved us that God became us in order to save us. God so loved us that God became us in order to save us. That's the big idea of the whole talk this evening. And ultimately, I'm gonna argue that's what Christmas is really all about. And look, I love the lights, I love the trees, I love the songs that we sang and the ones that we're about to sing in a few minutes. I, I love the presents, man, I love all of that, but this is where the magic of Christmas really lives. God so loved us that God became us in order to save us. This is an astounding truth. The word became flesh. But there's a second word here that I want us to drill down on just for a minute, and it's the word dwelt. Go back to 14. The word became flesh, and he dwelt among us. Now, that word in the Greek just means tabernacle. The word dwelt means tabernacle. So John is literally saying, Jesus put on humanity, and he tabernacled among us. If you're thinking, oh, what does that mean? Here's why that's so significant. John's original audience would have understood almost immediately that this was a reference to Old Testament times, especially God's people during the Exodus when the people of God had this thing called a tabernacle. If you're not familiar with kind of Old Testament storyline and theology, what the tabernacle was was basically a tent that contained a lot of symbols that taught us a lot about who God is and what he's, what he's like. So inside that tent, you had a lot of symbolic things like the Ark of the Covenant. You had the Ten Commandments. You had the mercy seat, all these different things. And God's presence, the Bible tells us, literally dwelt there in the tabernacle among his people. So when God's people would move somewhere, they literally would have to pack all that up, carry it very carefully, and set it up because that literally is how God's presence lived among his people back in Old Covenant, Old Testament times. But here's the really fascinating thing, is not anyone could just go into the tabernacle. In fact, only the high priest could go in to the tabernacle, and only on very special occasions. After a thorough religious cleansing, after a blood sacrifice from an animal, and they would literally, they would literally tie a rope around this cat's ankle in case he saw too much of God's glory, and it just killed him. They could drag, drag his corpse out. Right, this, is, this is how people interacted with God. And so what John is saying, by saying that Jesus tabernacled among us, is he's saying the God who for centuries seemed distant and seemed untouchable, he is now with us. He's now among us. 
He's now accessible to us in a very real, very personal way. He is now with us and for us. He left heaven and he moved into our neighborhood. And John is saying, I got to see him. I got to live with him. I traveled with him for three years. I watched him heal blind people and raise dead people and do all these miracles. Like I got to touch him with my hands. I got to hear him with my voice. This is amazing. It reminds me of Hebrews chapter 4. It says, Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast to our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness, but one who in every respect has been tempted just as we are and yet without sin. Let us then, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. See, friend, every world religion out there is the story of you trying to get to God. And as I was studying this, just heartbreaking image after heartbreaking image flooded my mind as I've had the privilege over the course of my life to, to grow up and live and travel all over the world in different places of images I've seen that are heartbreaking. Remember in the late 90s going to Jerusalem and going to the, the Welling Wall in the center of Jerusalem and just seeing thousands of Jews just rocking at that ancient wall weeping, literally crying, putting little pieces of papers with their prayers inside that wall. Because in their minds, that's the closest they could get to the presence of God. Because back in the day, on the other side of that wall was the Holy of Holies. So they're just begging God to hear their voice, to, to hear their prayers. And I think of our, our friends in, in Southeast Asia where we lived for a couple years, all our Muslim friends who would go to the mosque five times a day to bow down just hoping, just praying that God might hear them one day, that he might notice them. Our Hindu friends who had put out food offerings outside of their houses to protect them from the evil God spirits every single night. And our Buddhist friends striving to reach enlightenment from an impersonal force who hears them not and knows them not. There's one that screamed to all of them like, guys, listen, he's not there. He's not on the other side of that wall and he's not in that mosque and he's not in some kind of mysterious form of enlightenment. He's right here among us. They call Jesus Emmanuel, which means God with us. Every religion is a story of you trying to get to God, but the Christmas story is that when we couldn't get to God, he came looking for us. The word became flesh and he dwelt. He made his home among us. He became us in order to save us and to redeem us. And world history has never been the same. Which leads us to that third word that I told you that we would unpack the word glory. Let's look, look back at verse 14. And the word became flesh. He became us in order to redeem us. And he dwelt, he tabernacled among us. His presence is with us. It's accessible now to you and to me. And we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only son from the father, full of grace and truth. Listen, y'all, from ages long ago, people have always longed to see God, to just get even, even a glimpse of his glory. 
Now, the Bible tells us that as human beings, we, we cannot gaze upon the fullness of who God is without his glory literally killing us, right? Just sucking the oxygen out of our lungs and stopping our hearts right there in the moment. He's too big, he's too beautiful, he's too radiant for humans to behold all of his glory. In fact, in the Old Testament, sometimes God would give people like Moses just a small glimpse of like, like the back of his glory, like the shoulder blade of his glory, right? And oftentimes that, even that would blind people or it would make their faces glow. And I think the human heart has this, this instinct. I think all of us have this, this instinct to, to know and to see the glory of whatever you want to call it, right? This impersonal force, creator, God, the origin of life. We all have this desire. Even the ancient intellectuals, the Greek philosophers would say things like this. This is from Socrates. Socrates said, oh, that some, someone would arise, man or God, to show us God. One of Socrates' uh, disciples, Plato, said this, unless a God-man comes to us and reveals to us the supreme being, there is no help and there is no hope. See, even the ancient intellectuals, man, they grasped to see God, to taste his glory, to comprehend just a little bit about who he is and what he's like as do we all, I think, in our own ways, even if we don't recognize that that's what we're chasing in our lives. I want to show you the, I want to show you the last verse in John's prologue. This is verse 18. Look at this with me. It'll be on the screens for you. John says this, no one has ever seen God, the only God who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And what John is saying is this, if you've seen Jesus, you've seen God. If you've seen Jesus, You've seen all of God's glory on full display. Even Jesus himself said to his disciples in John 14, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Friend, do you want to know what God is like? Look at Jesus. His glory is both grace and truth. And don't we need both? It reminds me of the story that we looked at just a couple of weeks ago, the woman who was caught in adultery. If you're not familiar with that story, this a poor woman was really caught in the act and was dragged to a public court by a mob of religious leaders cast in front of Jesus in an attempt to trap him. Trap him. Said, Jesus, the law says that we should execute her for her sin. What do you say? Jesus intervened into the situation. He protects her from the mob. He shields her. He forgives her. He captures her heart, grace. And then he says to her some stunning words. I just imagine with tears in his eyes, he says, sister, go and sin no more. Truth, grace, and truth. This is the glory of God personified, and this is what we all need. This is the Jesus that we're all longing after. Grace and truth. God come near, Emmanuel. So let me just maybe ask you in a moment of honesty and moment of contemplation. Friend, is the story that you're living producing joy in your life? Is the story that you're living out of producing joy in your life? Because here's the reality. I know some of you have climbed the corporate ladder because you thought it would give you, bring you joy. Some of you have been really successful climbing that corporate ladder. Again, because you thought that was what was gonna give you joy. So let me just ask you, did it? 
Some of you sold out to make that romantic relationship work because you thought that was the one missing piece in your life that was gonna bring you happiness and hope. Was it? Some of you have fought and clawed tooth and nail to achieve the American dream. And for some of you, you're still climbing. Some of you, you got there. And you got this, the two-story house with a white picket fence and the 1.6 kids. How's that going for you? Are you fulfilled? And I want us to end where we started. God so loved us that God became us in order to save us. As Spurgeon so eloquently put it, Christ has come to us that we might come to him. And so as we close this evening, I wanna invite you just for a moment, would, would you bow your heads with me? Would you close your eyes? Not because we're about to do anything super weird or spiritual. I just, I wanna give you a moment to connect with God and perhaps hear from him, just for a moment. And just quickly for the next couple of minutes, I wanna speak, if I could, to three groups of people who I imagine are probably here or watching online right now. The first group of people that I just wanna speak to for a moment Man, you're, you're here because you're a team player. Like, you're not, you're not into this whole God thing. You're not into this whole Jesus thing. But you came because grandma wanted you to come or your wife wanted you to come. And you're just being a good sport. Man, and I'm glad you're here. I'm thankful you came tonight. I'm glad you're here. But here's my challenge for you. My challenge for you, your response tonight, I think, is to explore Jesus. Just explore Jesus. Because here's the deal. If, if even half of what I said is true tonight, there's nothing more important than you, that you could explore for the rest of your life. So let me, let me make it really specific. The book of John, which we just read out of, has 21 chapters in it. So I would just, I would just issue you a challenge for the next 21 days. Read one chapter in John's gospel. For the next 21, that's three weeks. Read one chapter a day for the next 21 days and then join us on a Sunday. So if that's where you're at, you're, just, you're here, you're not into the whole Jesus thing, you're just being a good team player, thanks for coming, explore Jesus. Now there's a second group of people here, I know, and I would just call this group seekers. And you don't know why, you may not even understand why, but you're being drawn to Jesus. Maybe even right now in this moment, you don't really get it because you're not typically a religious person or an overly spiritual person, but I mean, you're just kind of like drawn to his teachings and who he is, and maybe for the first time in a long time, or maybe the first time ever, this idea of spirituality, of connecting with your creator through Jesus, the light, the logos, the word made flesh, this seems surprisingly intriguing to you. And you're not even really sure why. Maybe it's even kind of disturbing to you. <laughs> and if that's you, I just want to say, I want you to know that that desire in you right now, that is from God. You can't manufacture that on your own. You can't just willpower that up in your spirit. That is from God who is drawing you, who is wooing you back home. So while the response for the first group is to explore Jesus, the response for the second group is to receive Jesus. That's what Christmas is all about is is us as fallen, broken, sinful human beings, not trying to earn our way to God, but accepting this free gift of grace in Jesus. That he did everything for us that we could never do for ourselves, that he lived a perfect, sinless life. 
that he died a sinner's death, that he rose again, offering us forgiveness and freedom now and forever. That's what the whole Christmas thing is about. And so if that's where you're at, if you're watching online or if you're in the room, you're like, man, you're talking to me. That's me. I don't, I don't understand why I feel so drawn to this. I don't know why I find his teaching so beautiful and I don't know why I want to follow him, but I just, I sense that in my heart and my soul. I want to just encourage you, pray this prayer with me. There's nothing magical about the words that I'm about to say, but God sees the position, the posture of your heart. So just pray something like this right now in the silence of your own heart and your mind. God, Man, I confess that I've missed the mark in my life. Gosh, I've tried, I've tried so hard, just like our brother Sebastian who got baptized. Just been flailing in the river, holding on to a tree branch when you have so much more for me. God, so would you, would you forgive me of my sin? Would you help me release being the captain of my own ship, the master of my own destiny, would you, would you forgive me of my rebellion against you, a perfect and holy God who loves me, who created me, designed me, who has purpose for me? I wanna turn from myself and my sin and I wanna turn to Jesus and I, just the best way I know how, I wanna, wanna follow him, I wanna be in the family of God, I wanna, wanna have your spirit to lead me and guide me and so the best way I know how, God, I'm just gonna open up my heart to you, I'm gonna open up my life to you, like I want you more than I want anything else in this world right now, God, I want, I want you, I wanna know you, I wanna see your glory. And experience your presence and your purpose in my life. If you prayed that prayer, know that he hears you. And that he receives you as a beloved son or daughter. The third group is here. You already believe. You're a part of the family of faith. You know Jesus. And I want you to know the only response that's appropriate for you right now is unbridled celebration. To stand in complete awe of a God who came life, who came to die to make you alive. That the very glory of God came and laid in a filthy manger in order to live a perfect life that you should have lived but you couldn't. And 33 years later, he climbed up on a tree and he stretched out his hands to carry your curse and your shame all the way to the grave. But the grave couldn't hold him there because God came to us. Emmanuel, God with us. God is with us. The question for you is, are you with him? God is with us. He's here. He's available to you. He's not far off. He's near to you. He's here. Are you with him? Friends, I want to invite you just to look up with me as we, as we close. I want to share with you Eugene Peterson, who passed away, famous pastor, author, read some of his books. Passed away just a couple years ago, but he used to, he used to sneak into his kids' room when he, they were little, late at night when they were asleep. And he'd pray a beautiful prayer over them. And I want to pray that this is my prayer over you on this Christmas day. God loves you, friend. God is on your side. He's coming after you, and he's relentless, and Jesus proved it. 
Let's stand and let's worship our King.